This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Well, hello, and thank you for joining me. I am your teacher for this podcast, Jeremy Myers. You ever wondered how faith works? Have you ever been concerned that if you change some of your beliefs, your entire belief structure is going to tumble down around you like a house of cards? I have had that experience in my life various times, and I've actually come to enjoy it. Uh, But today we're going to talk about uh, that uh, rather than think about faith as a house of cards, this rickety house of cards that any wind of doctrine, any question, any little bit of doubt can blow over, Going to, I'm going to suggest a different illustration for faith that I think will help make a whole lot more sense. And then, because this is the One Verse Podcast, we will be looking at a passage of Scripture that is helped, uh, that we can uh, use this illustration to help us understand what is going on. And that will be the passage in John chapter 11, where Jesus goes and has this discussion with Martha about the resurrect, how he is the resurrection and the life. Okay, so that's where we're headed today. Now, uh, before we get into that, though, I would like to invite you, as we near the end of the year, I do have lots of costs related to my podcast and my online discipleship group and publishing my books. I do have ads on my blog at redeeminggod.com to try to cover some of these expenses. And then, of course, the discipleship group covers some of those expenses as well. But I do run a deficit every single month. And so if you are looking for uh, some place to give, I'm not a nonprofit organization, but if you just feel like you have benefited from this podcast or some of the other things I've written on my blog and you want to help support some of my expenses, I would really appreciate that as we near the end of the year. Uh, you can make a donation through my website just by going to redeeminggod.com partner. That will allow you to partner with me in my ministry. Of course, you can't always just join the discipleship group. That way you are partnering with me and also helping support the financial needs of the ministry. But there's also a place on that page at redeeminggod.com slash partner where you can make a one-time or a recurring gift. Thank you so much in advance if you choose to partner with me in that way. Okay, so let's get into our study of faith. I, you may not know this, but I originally went to college to be a mechanical engineer. I ended up in uh, going to Bible college and then to seminary, but as a kid and then even in high school and college, I always enjoyed tinkering around with things, trying to learn how they work so that I can understand you know, how they are put together and what is happening, and then maybe either fix or e- improve whatever it was I was tinkering with. Now, as an approach, uh, as uh, an effect, a result of my engineering background, I sort of approach theology and Bible study the same way. Whenever I come across a difficult biblical passage, I almost approach it the way an engineer would approach a, a scientific problem or a mechanical problem. Um, when, I, when I have a, a question about theology, I, I sort of try to tear it apart down into its pieces, understand how all the pieces fit together, work together, interact with one another, and then put it all back together, hopefully in a way that makes more sense in my mind, and also, hopefully, in a way that I can teach it to you so that it makes more sense in your mind as well. And this is what happened with me when it comes to the inner workings of 
faith. The concept of faith is sort of one of these elusive, difficult to understand, difficult to grasp concepts in the Bible. I mean, have you ever stopped to wonder why you believe what you believe, how you came to believe what you believe, how your beliefs interact with one another and all those sorts of things? I have wondered, and I've read lots of books on faith and and how it works and how we believe things and so on. And um, so over the last, oh, 25 years or so, I have uh, come to sort of an understanding of faith and how we believe and why we believe the things we believe uh, that makes a whole lot of sense to me, and I want to share that with you today. Now, I do want to warn you, this podcast might get a little technical, um, you know, sort of into not really philosophy, but but the inner workings of the mind a little bit. And um, so just to be warned, just to forewarn you about that, okay? Now, the reason I want to share this with you is because there is so much misinformation out there about faith. I get emails from people all the time from all around the world who hear me talk about you know, how we can have eternal life simply by believing or simply uh, by placing faith in Jesus Christ for it. Okay, it's a very simple promise in the Gospels, and yet it is amazing to me how often people say, well, I hear that you say, you know, and Jesus says that anyone who believes in him has everlasting life, but how do I know if I've really believed? Or how do I know if I have enough faith? I mean, Jesus talks about great faith and little faith in the Gospels. Maybe I don't have great enough faith to believe in Jesus, so maybe I don't have eternal life. And there's all those sorts of questions, okay? So, uh, in an attempt to respond to some of those questions that I've been getting over the years, and then also when I teach Bible studies in, in live settings to, to other groups of people, I often get these similar sorts of questions and comments, I decided to, to come up with a way that sort of helps explain how faith works. And one of the reasons I was seeking a new illustration for this is a while back, I heard a sermon by Greg Boyd. Pastor Greg Boyd out at, at uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where uh, he sort of said that when he was growing up, he heard or thought about faith or his experience of faith was that it was sort of a house of cards. And so, you know, if you, you've seen a house of cards, they're very rickety. You know, one little teeny puff of wind can blow the whole thing over. And he says that was his experience. And he, he thought it was the experience of a lot of people as well. So they construct this house of cards out of their faith, and they think that the whole thing stands or falls together. So that if you pull one card out or a puff of doctrinal wind comes along and blows on that house of cards, the whole thing comes tumbling down, crashing to the ground, and you're left with nothing but a mess of cards on the ground around you. Okay, And so in response to that, now I appreciate Greg Boyd's pastoral heart in trying to respond to this very real experience of a lot of people. I've had that experience as well. But Greg Boyd believes, and others uh, you know, believe similarly, that the way to get around this is to say that faith includes doubt, that faith includes questions. All right. Um, Peter Enns, for example, has even written a book called The Sin of Certainty, and he argues the same thing, that we cannot be certain about our beliefs, we should not, and those who try to be certain and promote certainty, uh, it's, it's a sin. 
uh, of sorts. Okay. So if you listened to last week's podcast episode, I suggested that faith is certainty. All right. It is a knowing, uh, a conviction um, about something that you know to be true. All right. So if I believe that faith is certainty, a conviction or a persuasion that something is true, then how do I avoid this house of cards analogy, this house of cards illustration from Greg Boyd, where if one belief changes, the whole system comes crashing down? And if you followed me or know me or have read some of my books over the years, you know that my beliefs do change quite often as I question and challenge and, yes, even doubt some of the things I have taught, some of the things I believe, some of the things I've learned. So how can I say that faith is certainty while avoiding this house of cards you know, idea uh, where all of my belief structures come crashing down when I ever, whenever I change or question or challenge a particular belief? Well, for me, it's helpful to stop thinking about faith as a house of cards and use a different analogy or a different illustration instead. And the illustration that I heard uh, from uh, Pastor Dave Anderson out of the Woodlands, he's a pastor in the Woodlands, uh, Texas, heard this years and years ago, and it made a whole lot of sense to me, and I think it is a great example of how faith actually works. He suggested that our faith or our set of beliefs is sort of like a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet, all right, and, um, if you've ever used Microsoft Excel, I don't use it a whole lot. I use it for a little bit of accounting purposes related to all the expenses that I do have through redeeminggod.com uh, to keep track of income and expenses, that sort of a thing. So that's about my extent of it. Uh, but it's an accounting tool that uh, basically has a series of rows and columns. And so whenever a row and a column meets, there's a cell. And in that cell, you can put data. You can put numbers, you can put equations or functions, you can, you, you can even put labels and other things, okay? So each cell contains, you know, a little bit of data. You know, for example, a, a cell could uh, e, uh, just, con- excuse me, could contain some sort of mathematical equation, you know, add the numbers of cell 2a to the cells of 2b and put the answer in here. You know, that would be a mathematical equation. Um, You could even put just the numbers in a cell, you know, how many books you sold or, you know, for my my examples, um, how much I spent, income in a cell, that sort of a thing, okay? Now, really, really advanced spreadsheets, and I've seen some of these that accountants use, they might contain thousands of cells set up in a way so that if you change the data, the number in one cell, it sort of has a rippling cascading effect, and it might change hundreds, maybe even thousands of other cells on that spreadsheet. And that's the way these Excel spreadsheets are set up so that uh, you change what is in one, and it can have a, a, an effect, a waterfall effect, a cascading effect, and changing what to change is what is in a bunch of other cells as well, okay? I think this is a helpful way to think about beliefs, all right? Um, we can think of our beliefs or our set of beliefs, maybe we could call it our network of beliefs, as a giant 
Excel spreadsheet. But rather than numbers and formulas and equations, bits of data in each cell, each cell would contain an individual uh, statement, right? You know, whatever it could be. Uh, the sky is blue. It doesn't have to be theology, scripture, just a statement, a factual statement. Or maybe it's not factual, but just a statement. The sky is blue. One plus one equals two. God exists. My name is Jeremy. Okay. Uh, another cell might be, my name is Bob. All right. And so so there would just be statements of facts in each cell. Now, just like in an, uh, an advanced, complex Excel spreadsheet with numbers, on our spreadsheet of faith, all of the cells are interconnected, networked together in such a way so that if you change what is in one cell, it cascades and has a rippling effect through the belief statements, the fact statements that are in a lot of the other cells. All right? So, uh, and the way I think about this is it's not so much that each cell changes, but I like to think of it as each cell as being true or false, or on or off, as, as you would say, okay? So if you believe the statement in a particular cell, then that cell is on, all right? It, you say it's true. I agree with what is in that cell. The sky is blue, okay? It's on. I agree. Um, although, by the way, <laughs> I actually think the sky is violet, so on my Excel spreadsheet, the cell that says the sky is blue, I have that turned off. There's scientific reasons for why I believe the sky is actually violet and our eyes interpret it as blue. Anyway, I read an article on that a while back. It persuaded and convinced me to change my belief. And anyway, we'll be talking about that maybe in a future podcast episode. But okay, let's move away from sky is blue. One plus one equals two. So on my Excel spreadsheet of beliefs, that one is for sure turned on. All right. Uh, there's another cell. I exist. Well, I believe that I exist. So in my Excel spreadsheet, that cell is turned on. My name is Bob. Well, I do not believe my name is Bob. So on my Excel spreadsheet of beliefs, that cell which says my name is Bob, that's turned off. Okay? I do not believe it. And the way this works is each cell is either on or off. You either agree or you disagree. If you are unsure, you say, well, I don't know, it could be true, then that cell also is turned off. All right, There's no dimmer switch here to these cells. They're either on or they're off. You either agree or you disagree. If you are unsure, then that means you don't believe it. Okay, And that's sort of how this Excel spreadsheet works. Now, they're all connected, obviously, uh, even with this uh, sky is blue sort of an idea. You know, I had to change a bunch of beliefs about how our eyes worked and how the sun uh, is refracted through our atmosphere, the light of the sun, so that, uh, you know, it, it, it is actually scientifically violet, but our eyes can only see this particular shade of blue. So I had to change a whole bunch of beliefs, and as I changed those beliefs, it had ramifications, far-reaching effects, uh, and changing other beliefs. Okay, so that's just sort of a scientific one, but um, I find that this way of thinking about faith provides an adequate response to a lot of these pastors and theologians and teachers who say that our beliefs must include an element of certainty. 
okay? And the reason why this is an adequate response to it is because rather than take faith or belief as this big, all-encompassing, you know, all or nothing, take it or leave it thing, it all stands or falls together, I don't need to do that anymore. It's no longer a house of cards where if one card gets pulled out, the whole thing falls. Instead, what we've been able to do is take all of the myriad, I mean, we're talking trillions and trillions, probably nearly an infinite number of factual statements, and putting each one in this cell on this giant spreadsheet, and guess what? If one changes, yes, it has effects on other beliefs, but never, ever, ever will the whole spreadsheet crumble to bits. Things will change. Whole sections might change. But never does the whole spreadsheet fall apart, go away, fall to the ground, become chaos. Instead, the more I study and learn and question and think and reason, the more likely it is that my spreadsheet becomes more accurate, uh, more conformed to the truth, more uh, in line with what is actually real. And so questioning, challenging, thinking, reasoning, these are encouraged when you view faith as this Excel spreadsheet. Okay? But notice that each individual cell, I can be certain about whatever fact statement is in that cell. All right? So, um, yeah, because it is often based on a bunch of other cells that uh, support it and lend uh, credence or help prove it. All right? So uh, let me give you an example. Let me just uh, take the truth claim I sort of started off with earlier. Jesus gives eternal life to those who believe in him for it. All right. So that is a factual truth claim. All right? It is a statement. Now, I believe that that statement is true. I do believe, I agree, I am certain that Jesus gives eternal life to those who believe in him for it. You might say, Jeremy, how can you be certain about that? Well, look, all right, it is an individual cell. And if it was that cell all by itself, nothing else to support it or prove it, then absolutely, I would not be able to be certain about that fact claim. But it's not by itself. It is surrounded and networked and connected with a vast myriad number of other cells which support it. And when I start to look at some of those other cells, and let me just lay, uh, think of a few of them. Uh, first of all, I believe there is a God. All right. And of course, that's a factual statement. God exists, and there's a whole bunch of cells and arguments and so on, each one individually that lend support to that. Okay. We won't get into that. But again, you see how this is starting to go back. Uh, I believe that since God exists, I, I believe that God created us. There's another statement. Uh, I believe that because God exists and because he created us, he gets to decide who has eternal life with him. Okay, that's another factual statement. I furthermore believe that Jesus is God. All right, another factual statement. Uh, I believe that since Jesus was God, he knew what he was talking about, that he doesn't lie. Okay, these are all factual statements. And so I believe that since Jesus doesn't lie, when he was speaking about how to have eternal life, he was telling the truth. All right? Furthermore, I believe the Bible is authoritative and can be trusted as revelation from God. All right? And especially the words of Jesus in the Gospels. Again, these are all factual statements about the Bible. 
I believe that even though I read the Bible in English, and even though I have studied it and can study it in Greek, that these are accurate records of what Jesus actually said and taught when he lived and walked this earth. All right? You see how all of these factual statements, individually, they depend on others, but I can be certain about each of these individual beliefs on their own, and each one lends support to this bigger idea that I started with, that Jesus gives eternal life to those who believe in him for it, okay? Now, if all of these factual statements are true, as I believe they are, then it is completely logical and reasonable to be persuaded, convinced even, that Jesus gives eternal life to those who believe in him for it. Okay, and then furthermore, since I know that I believe in Jesus for eternal life, that means I have it. I can be certain of that fact, okay? So, uh, because Jesus doesn't lie, remember? Now, look, if any one of those beliefs were to change, yes, there would be a ripple effect that might work its way down into this belief that um, Jesus gives eternal life to those who believe in him for it. I mean, if I stop believing that there was a God, okay? Uh, or that the Bible accurately records the words of Jesus, right? Then I might stop believing in Jesus for eternal life, or that those words, those statements in the Bible can be trusted. Okay, but here's the thing. The more I study and learn, the more evidence I find that supports all those beliefs. And basically, at this point in my life, I now know too much to turn away from any of those truths. And I cannot imagine a situation that would cause me to reject them. All right, the more I study, the more I learn that these statements are reliable and trustworthy and true. All right, I'm using reason and logic in my brain and and every resource available to me to test these truths. And so far, they have all proven to be true. Okay, so, I mean, is it possible that the authors failed, authors of the gospel failed to accurately record what Jesus said? Well, yes, it's possible, but it's not likely. So I don't believe it. Um, I do believe that they accurately recorded the words of Jesus, and they've been accurately passed down to us through history. Um, so, look, is it possible that I misunderstood what Jesus meant and said? I mean, it's possible. But, and this is probably the most likely factor that could cause me to stop believing in Jesus, but this is one of the simplest and easiest truths to understand in the Bible, that Jesus gives eternal life to those who believe in him for it. Even a child can understand this. And so while it's possible that I've misunderstood him, I don't doubt it. I mean, I don't doubt the words of Jesus uh, because it's simple and easy to understand. Therefore, I do believe it. I am certain of it. I know it to be true. Okay? So, look, uh, this idea of the of faith as a Excel spreadsheet really helps me understand how all of the vast number of belief statements, factual statements work together and are networked and, and help make sense of, of Scripture and theology and um, the whole belief system. And even when one belief changes, even a major belief, the whole system doesn't come crashing down like a house of cards. Instead, there's just a rippling, cascading effect, and I watch it sometimes over days, sometimes over weeks, sometimes over years. 
I watch it work its way through my spreadsheet of beliefs as things change and um, are, are, you know, in light of this new situation. Now, with that in mind, let's just give an example from Scripture where we see this exact thing taking place. Now, usually when this happens, the person isn't thinking, and it's not going through their head about, oh, I'm going to change this belief, and so, you know, especially in the days of Jesus, they didn't have Excel spreadsheets, and you probably wouldn't notice this either, but we do have an example in John chapter 11 where Jesus and Martha have a conversation about the resurrection, and we see Martha come to believe something that she didn't previously believe because Jesus changed her belief about something else, okay? So, uh, it's in John chapter 11, and you know the story. Uh, Lazarus is sick, so Mary and Martha say, Jesus, come to Bethany. Uh, your, your, your friend whom you love is sick. But Jesus doesn't go. Instead, he waits three days until Lazarus is dead. Then he goes. Uh, okay. And on his way, uh, he gets close to town. Martha hears that he's coming and comes out to meet him on the road. And in John eleven twenty one, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died right? She's grieving. She's upset. She knows that if Jesus had just come when they called for him, her brother would still be alive. Lazarus would still be living. Jesus responds in verse 23 and says, your brother will rise again. All right, notice what he's saying. That is a factual statement. Your brother will rise again. She responds with a statement saying, yes, I know that's true. She says, this is uh, verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Okay, so you see what's going on here. There's a statement of fact from Mary, a statement of fact from Jesus, an affirmation of that fact with a little bit of further explanation from Mary. And and so um, when Jesus says, your brother will rise again, okay, does Martha believe that? Yes. So on her, if we could call it this, her Excel spreadsheet of faith, there's a little cell that says Lazarus will rise again. And in Mary's mind, that cell is turned on. She believes it. But what primarily does she believe about that cell? Well, there's a connected cell related to it, maybe right under it, right to the side, I don't know, that says the resurrection happens in the last days. So Mary puts those two together. Well, yes, my brother will will rise, Jesus, in the last day. I mean, we know that. I agree, she says. I believe, I'm convinced, I am persuaded that Lazarus will rise again on the future day of resurrection. All right, now, Jesus is not going to correct her because she is correct about these beliefs. But what he does is he goes on to teach her some new ideas about himself, all right? So she's going to make some factual, uh, he's going to make some factual statements to see if they are turned on or off in her spreadsheet of faith, all right? Spreadsheet of beliefs. So Jesus says in the next verse, I am the resurrection and the life, verse 25. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. All right, so he makes three factual statements here. Each one is a truth claim from Jesus, and each one is dependent 
They're in each truth claim is in its own cell, but they're all connected. So if you believe one, you're likely going to believe the other two and vice versa, okay? So the truth claims that Jesus makes, the three truth claims, are one, that resurrection and life resides in him. I am the resurrection and life, he says, okay? Number two, that those who die in him, yes, they will live again. And Martha believes that because she's already confessed that and agreed to that. Third, though, those who live and believe in him will never die. Okay, so Jesus makes those three factual statements, and he says, do you believe this? All right. Now, it's very, very interesting how Martha responds, and theologians and pastors have argued over this and struggled with this for 2,000 years, because Jesus makes these three factual claims, and then he says, Martha, do you believe this? And notice she says, yes, Lord, I believe. But notice what she doesn't say. She doesn't say, yes, Lord, I believe that... Number one, you are the resurrection and the life. That number two, those who die in you will also live in you. And number three, that those who live and believe in you will never die. She doesn't say that. Instead, she says that has confused something that has confused a lot of people. She says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. All right, so people look at this and they get confused. They're like, No, wait a second. <laughs> believing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life is not the same thing as believing that Jesus is the Christ. So Jesus says, Martha, do you believe this? She says, yes, I believe. And we expect her to agree with the statements Jesus just made, but she doesn't. Instead, she says, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God who has come into the world. And so people get confused with what Martha is saying here, what she's doing. Why does she say this? And people say, well, maybe it is true that to believe that Jesus is the Christ is the exact equivalent to believing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But the thing is, is that's not true. Because you can look in the Gospels, for example, lots of people, including many of the apostles themselves, believed that Jesus was the Christ, but they did not believe, okay, that he would rise from the dead, or that the resurrection, that he could even raise people from the dead, all right? So there is no necessary or required connection between saying that Jesus is the Christ and Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Another line of argument here, by the way, is that there were lots of people throughout Israelite history, even uh, various places in the Old Testament, where various people are referred to as Messiahs, Mashiach. All right, Savior, Deliverer. And uh, no one ever thought that these Mashiachs would raise people from the dead. All right? So it just was, it's not a necessary connection. All right? So what is Martha saying? Why, when Jesus says, do you believe this, does she respond, yes, I believe that, (laughs) that you are the Christ, right? The Son of the living God. All right, here's why. The three things Jesus has just said are new ideas to Martha. She's never heard these things before, and she's never considered them before. All right, so she's faced with these new facts. Oh, new cells on her spreadsheet of beliefs. And she has to decide in this moment, because Jesus asked her, whether she agrees or not, whether she acknowledges and accepts the truths, the three truths Jesus has just taught to her. 
Okay? And so what does Martha say? She says, yes, Lord. Okay? She says, yes, I agree. And what she says next is not, I'm agreeing. It's not a restatement of what Jesus has just said, but rather it's an explanation for why she believes what Jesus just said. She's basically saying, yes, Lord, I believe with what you just said because I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, right, who is to come into the world. So on Mary, just look at it this way, on Mary's spreadsheet of beliefs, there is a cell which says Jesus is the Christ. And on her spreadsheet, that cell is turned on. And as part of that, she knows that as the Christ and as the Son of God, the one who is prophesied to come into the world, she knows that Jesus will not lie, that Jesus will tell her the truth. On her spreadsheet of belief, those cells are also turned on. And so when Jesus comes to her and says, I am the resurrection and the life, and the ones who die in me, they'll live again. And the ones who live and believe in me, they will never die. These are challenging three beliefs, three challenging beliefs. But because Martha believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world, he will never lie. He, his words can always be trusted. He will always tell the truth. Because she believes all those things as well, she says, yes, Jesus, of course, if you said it, then it must be true. I believe it. I believe it, Jesus, based on your authority, and you taught it to me. Okay? So, she believed him. All right? And then, of course, Jesus goes on and actually raises Lazarus from the dead, and this provides further proof, further evidence that Mary's new beliefs on her spreadsheet are well-founded, and she can continue to believe those. Okay? So look, this is just one example of how this entire network of beliefs work on the spreadsheet of faith. We really could go through almost any interaction uh, between people in the Bible and see something similar. As they learn something new, we see how it affects their uh, other beliefs and behaviors and actions and all sorts of things. And here in this example in John chapter 11, it does work rather quickly through the mind of Martha, but it doesn't always go that quickly for you and I. Sometimes it goes a whole lot slower. I've had some ideas and concepts that take uh, decades now to work their way, to have that cascading ripple effect work their way through my spreadsheet of ideas and beliefs. So, But regardless, I hope this illustration of faith, thinking about faith as a spreadsheet, uh, with each individual factual statement in its own cell on that spreadsheet, helps you understand better how faith works, how you come to believe the things you believe, and why you believe the things you believe. Also, this illustration also sort of helps you consider and accept the various truth claims that bombard you from day to day. And look, you don't need to be afraid now of changing your beliefs, of questioning what you believe, challenging Uh, reading books or hearing podcasts or ideas that might disagree with something you believe. Because look, if your beliefs change, then that means your spreadsheet is one step closer to the truth, hopefully. And if they don't change, then asking the questions, considering the challenge, simply strengthened and supported what you already believe. Either way, you end up with a spreadsheet that is better and stronger and more accurate, more reliable, more trustworthy for you as you continue to seek to follow Jesus and 
uh, live and love like Jesus before others. Okay? Now, I imagine this illustration probably raises some questions and comments. <laughs> uh, if so, uh, you can leave those on my blog over at uh, redeeminggod.com. Just look for, search for faith as an Excel spreadsheet, something like that. It'll probably pop up on Google. I've also written a book on it. It's getting released in the middle of January. It's called What is Faith? And uh, this book goes into this uh, concept a whole lot more in more detail and also answers many, many questions and comments or questions and objections related to this idea. But in the next podcast episode, we will address one of the questions and comments that often gets tossed at me. And that's this idea. Jeremy, if you think that each Excel spreadsheet is on or off, then what do you do with Jesus' statements about great faith and little faith? Right? He, he uh, in, uh, runs into people in the Gospels. Oh, you have little faith. Oh, you have great faith. How does that fit with this concept, this idea of the spreadsheet, the Excel spreadsheet? That's what we will talk about in the next podcast episode. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you'll join me then. And remember, if you want to support the work I'm doing, just go to redeeminggod.com partner, and you can join me by giving a one-time uh, gift there. I really appreciate it. See you next time. Bye.